Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. Solid. It's solid. Just nothing can handle it. Nothing can come against it. And it doesn't change either. It's not unstable. It's not shifting. It's not one day or another. I bought $10 worth of Bitcoin, and now I'm a little stressed out because some days I have $14 worth of Bitcoins, and some days I have like $13. But I want more dollars worth of Bitcoin. It's unstable. It doesn't, it's not set. You can't rely on Bitcoin to always be there because, personally, I don't know what Bitcoin is. I just bought it because it's worth money. But hopefully it'll make me more money. Maybe that's off topic, a little off topic, not maybe. But God is not like that. He says in Malachi 3 and 6, I am the Lord and I change not. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his mercy is no different. If you get God, you get the whole package. You get everything in between. You get his mercy, you get his love, his goodness. Sometimes you get a little bit of that wrath, but it's okay. His wrath is not forever, but his love is. Mercy means compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's with when it's within one's power to punish them. Mercy is, I can punish you, but I choose not to. Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is, it's, sin is a constant. It's always going to be in the world, right? Ever since Adam and Eve made the big mistake, there's always sin here because they, they failed. Now everyone has to live in that failure almost, but God provides a way out. Uh, the wages of sin is death. I work at a job, I get money, I get wages, and I get paid what I earn. I, I do my job, and they give me money. And that's kind of how it is with sin. We, it's, not, it's the only thing with sin. It's not very hard work to sin, right? It's pretty easy to sin. And, but though you get those wages, and that wages, that payment is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can't... It's, it's hard to explain in my mind, because you can't really earn a gift, you know? If it's your birthday, you kind of just get gifts. But you didn't earn it. You just lived another year. You know, you, you didn't run in traffic, maybe. You can't earn a gift. If someone just gives you something, there's nothing you really could have done. They could just choose to give to you. And that's what God's doing. There's nothing I did to deserve the grace of God, the mercy of God. He just gave it to me. We all are, unfortunately, deserving of, of death. We're all deserving of the lot that we've been given. We've all sinned in whether it's little tiny white lies, which I, you know, people tell you aren't sin. It's, it's a lie. Lies a lie. My mom taught me that young. She threatened me with the lake of fire a lot. I would, I would make a lie because I like to lie for some reason. And she'd say, you know, Colton, all liars share the place in the lake of fire. I'm like, I did it. I'm sorry. You're right. That's not. We're all deserving of that. But God has enduring mercy. And it shines through the darkness of sin. And it's offered us a way out. It's like a better bridge. If you're trying to get out of somewhere and God shows you a bridge, take the bridge. It's not going to look like that, by the way. It's going to be tried, true, and tested. It's going to be stable and strong. Jesus took on our sin and shame, and he he had a way out for us, too. He died on the cross, and he died for us. He took on all the shame of the world. He was perfect and sinless. He was the only man to ever be sinless. It's really incredible. Uh, and he was tried in all ways that we are, and he didn't fail once. So when he went on that cross, 
when he was sacrificed for our sin like, a, like an innocent lamb. He put on all the sins that we had for all of us for all time, and he died. And that's not where it ends, obviously, because I don't want to spoil. I don't know how far you are in the Bible yet. But he doesn't just die. He rises again on the third day. And just like he rose again, and that sin stayed in the grave, when we, uh, when we are born again in Christ, that sin stays behind us. Because when we die, it's like re- repentance is like us dying. We talk about this a lot, but I think it's good to go back because I need the reminder. When we repent, when we just say, I'm sorry, that's like us dying, crucifying the old man, Paul says. Then we get baptized. That's the burial. And then when we get born again, that's us coming out of the water. All the sin stays dead because sin is death. So sin just like stays with the dead. It doesn't come back when you get born again. You're a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So Jesus used the word to stand his ground, even through all the uncertainty, all the sinking sands, the crazy bridges that he might have been presented. And through every attack, he showed us how to live, and we can rely on him for strength. He is good. And the verse says, because his mercy endures forever. That's one of the reasons. God is good. He has a good nature. But his mercy, one of the reasons you can see that he's good is because his mercy endures forever. And I can... I was looking for powerful examples in the Bible, and, you know, if you want powerful examples of God's mercy, you just go to the Bible, you just flip it, maybe stay out of Jeremiah. It doesn't, for a lot of times, it doesn't look like there's a lot. I'm reading through Jeremiah right now, and it's like, kind of like sad, like, you guys, you should have just shaped up sooner, because uh, uh, you're getting like a little bit of punishment, but it doesn't go forever. God is merciful and just, and he, he, uh, he promises that he's going to save them, and he did. But if you want to look for something powerful that you can use in your life, I like to go to John. John's my favorite gospel. Not that I'm picking favorites, but I'm picking favorites. Uh, John, it reads like a book to me. The author does a really great job of, of uh, the author John does a really great job of setting things up, and he chooses so carefully. He was used mightily by God to write out the gospel. It was actually write, written about 60 years after all the other gospels, or many years. I don't know if it's exactly 60. I'm going to stick to 60. But... Because I, I think it was written about 95 A.D. and the other Gospels were written as early as 35. And it was one of the last books written in the Bible that we have. And he was writing it for a different time than how he walked the earth. When he walked the earth with Jesus, it was, there was a different type of, uh, there were different ruler in place, different governments in place. It's the same government, it just changed over time because that's how governments work. But at the time he written it, he was basically the only original member of that, of that 12 even Paul was gone. It was just him alone on this island. And he's writing to, to a people who were under heavy persecution and many different voices out there persuading them this way or that way or to just give up. But he wrote the Gospel of John, his three epistles, and the book of Revelation for that necessary time. That even speaks to our time. There's so much chaos and, 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 and corruption in our government. We don't know which way to go. There's so many questions asked. Vaccine, no ma- vaccine vaccine mask, no mask, who you, know, who you support this or that. But when we just realize that God's mercy has endured forever through all time, we don't have to rely on what this guy says or that guy says. We just got to trust in this word right here. And we see that enduring mercy in all the actions of Jesus. He had the right to, to tell everyone and every, uh, anyone and everyone that they're not going to make it because most of them probably wouldn't without him. And no more greater example I can find, or at least one of the greatest in my mind, is in John chapter 8. It starts out, Jesus was, uh, he was at the Mount of Olives, and he decided to come down and teach at the, at the synagogues. And 
these scribes and Pharisees, they brought this, this woman who had been caught in adultery and is in sin. And, and we, we read the story from the perspective of Jesus. We, maybe we all know where he just starts writing in the ground for no reason, it seems like. You're like. You don't even know what he's writing. Is he drawing? Is he doodling? But then he says something so impactful. But imagine being that woman, right? Just out of nowhere being brought out, knowing that you have sinned, knowing that you're in this shame, you're expecting death. Because that's what happened. If a woman was caught in adultery, they would stone her on the spot, knowing the consequences of the actions that you've just been caught of. And she's, instead of that, she's just thrown in front of Jesus, in front of all these other men. And maybe she's heard of Jesus, probably. Jesus was uh, pretty popular back then. His word spread. And we don't know what she's expecting. It doesn't write about, she does, she's not telling the story here. But she probably knew what the goal of the scribes and the Pharisees was, right? To, to, to eventually stone her because of the sin that she had committed. But no one could have expected what happened next. Not the woman, not the scribes, not the Pharisees, not the ones around listening to the teachers. Uh, they, they told Jesus what was going on and said, hey, we caught this woman in adultery. What are we going to do? What should we do about it? And the Bible says, John says that they're testing him, seeing what he would do, seeing that he would make a mistake. But he said nothing. He just stooped down and he and he was writing on the ground with his finger. And she must have been confused. I would have been confused. If you know what's going to happen, if you know the mistakes that you've made and the consequences that come from them, maybe she just wanted to get it over with. She didn't want to wait in that, that like, oh, man, I, just, I, would rather, I would rather die than sit here in my shame, in my guilt, and in my fear. That everyone was bringing on in front of her, and they continue asking. And in verse 7, they said, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone in the women standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said to their Woman, where are those thine accusers? Where, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That sin should have resulted in death. My sin should result in my death. It's what has happened to everyone. Everyone who's been convicted, found guilty of sin, but the very stones meant to to kill her, meant to be hurled at her, just fell helplessly, hopelessly, harmlessly to the ground one by one as the accusers left. I imagine Jesus standing there. He wasn't physically standing up and push, putting the stones out of the hands, but he was enduring one by one. They left and left and left, and that's how that mercy endures. Time and time again, accusers can come at you because we did sin. I did sin, but I said, I'm sorry, God, and his mercy endured forever and endures the test of time. Every stone that should be thrown at me is on the ground now. Because his mercy endured for me. It was soon just her and Jesus. She was captured by her own sin. But the relentless mercy of God stood against the barrage of accusers. The everlasting mercy of God endured throughout her trial. And even he, he's the only one who could accuse her. He's the only one who could cast a stone. But he didn't because he was merciful. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I can't count on all the hands in the world how many times the mercy has stood up for me. 
I've made big mistakes. I've made small mistakes. I felt guilty and shame, but God has always been there for me. I, he's, he has stood up for me. That mercy has stood up for me when I couldn't stand up for myself. And that's who our God is. His mercy endureth forever. I often think about Peter. Peter made one of the biggest mistakes in the Bible, in my opinion, from what I see, and I, I relate to it so heavily. We see Peter in Luke uh, chapter 5 as just a fisherman on the water, just seeing this great miracle that God has done, and he, he, gets, uh, he decides that I need to investigate more, and God calls him in Matthew to follow him, to make him fishers of men. And he went, around, went about with him for a long time, teaching with Jesus, te- getting teachings directly from Jesus, seeing how he loved, seeing how his mercy endured, seeing how he stood up for other people and how he stood up for him. But what are you supposed to do after you're saved and your life's been changed, but you find yourself back where you started? Find yourself back to the beginning. I, I don't have that testimony of uh, I was in the world and then God brought me out. I've always been in church, basically. I was able to testify yesterday, and I was just telling uh, these people that my testimony is I've been in the church and God has been good, and his mercy has just endured. Because even when the adversary says, you should have known better, I say, you're right, I should have known better. But God is best, you know? God is, his mercy endures forever. Peter was called by Jesus to leave his life behind. He dropped the net, literally everything in his hand, and he followed Jesus. He had not even been Peter before God had met him, before Jesus had changed his life. But at the end of, of, uh, of the ministry of Jesus, kind of, towards the, what it looked like the end, he was, uh, Jesus was captured, and Peter just kind of followed along. He cut off someone's ear, but he still followed in the back, not really being too vocal, peering behind corners, looking up around groups of people, not trying to associate himself. This is right after he told Jesus without hesitation that he would not deny. He would always follow Jesus. I've, I've been there. There's been great church services, great conferences where you go, like, I'm going to conquer everything. I'm never going to make a mistake again because God is with me. Never going to deny Jesus. But then I go back to that public school and I make the same mistakes, the same exact ones I just said I wouldn't make ever again. And it's heartbreaking. That's what happened with Peter. He said, I'm never going to do that, Lord. And Jesus told him, you will. Can I tell you that? You're, you're going to make mistakes. It's an unrealistic expectation to not make mistakes. But when you're just, imagine being with Jesus, right? Like, nothing can stop me. I've seen him, I've seen him, you know, heal, heal the sick. I've seen him raise the dead. What can happen to me? What can stop me? But what happens when you're separated from that environment? You still have the, the residual effects of Jesus. You still have the teachings fresh in your mind, but fear overcomes you, and, and you just go into panic mode almost. There's a few times he was asked, like, hey, you look like you've been with Jesus. And he said, I've never, no, no, I don't know. And another time he said no, and then the third time it says he cursed, and he said he didn't know, and then he heard the rooster crow in Luke 22, 62, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. I've been there. Has anyone else been there? You just make that one mistake, and you realize, oh, my goodness, I don't know how I'm going to get back from this. I don't know the mountain I'm going to have to climb to get back into the good graces. He's done so much for me. How can I just throw it all away? But the story's not over. He found out about the resurrection. He ran to the tomb, and Jesus wasn't there. And he's, he's got to be imagining in his head, where's Jesus? I got to talk to Jesus. I got to find Jesus. He sees Jesus in front of everyone. He appears to them. 
And, but that's, I got to imagine his head, that's not, that's not the right time for him. Like, oh, man, I got to talk to him one-on-one. I got to be with him. Not, something's not right. And eventually in, Acts, or in John 21, he says, I'm going to go fishing. He goes back to where it started. Back to where he was first found. And he took some people with him. Sometimes, you know, you make a mistake, you might take a few people with you. But he goes a fishing, and kind of similar, the first time that Jesus finds Peter, it's, uh, there's no one around, or not, there's a lot of people around. I've got to use my words better. First time Jesus finds him, he's fishing all night, nothing, not one fish in the boat. He hears from this man on the shore, he doesn't know who he is, how about you cast the other side? He's like, we've casted on that side all night. I'm a professional fisherman. I know how to fish like a man. It's, I get the same way when people tell me how to do my job, you know? This is my job. I get paid for this. And then they just like, fine, I'm just going to do it. Have you ever, like, someone tells you how to do your job, and you've already done that way? Like, no, I know how to do my job. I'm not going to do it. Then they tell you how to, then they're like, hey, you should do that. I'm like, fine, I'll try it, and then it works. Isn't that the most frustrating thing ever? But, you know, if it was just one fish, maybe it would have been like, oh, good, one fish. But it was so many fish that, not, that no one could... Not all the boats in, in, the, in the shore or in all the bay couldn't get up all those fish. It was a lot of fish, so many fish. And Peter marveled, and he's like, I got to follow you, because Jesus said, follow me. But he, he finds himself in a similar situation, fishing with no fish, nothing in there. You know how to do it. He's only been away for a few years. He's, it's still pretty fresh. So the concept of fishing doesn't make big leaps over the time. A lot of people still use nets. So he's still doing the thing. He's still trying to see it, and there's nothing. And then some guy on the shore says, hey, do you got anything? He's like, no, we got nothing. How about you cast to the right side? And there's so many fish. The same thing. When we're in our place where we don't know how to find Jesus, we don't know, so we go back to the beginning, he can find us there too. Don't worry. He knows where you are. So he says, cast your net to the other side, and ye shall find. And they did, and they got all these fish. And John turns and says, hey, Peter. And Jesus just takes off. He just starts going. He goes, he jumps from the boat. He puts on a shirt, and he jumps from the boat, he starts swimming. Maybe, maybe he was trying to see if he could walk on water again, but he doesn't. That's okay. I'm just going to make it to the shore. I'm going to make it to Jesus. And eventually, with his, uh, he settles for the swim to the shore. Just like, I guess I'll, I'll swim to Jesus. That's fine. And as the group was eating breakfast, Jesus asked him, Simon, which was his name before he changed it, son of Joseph, Joseph, uh, Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto them, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. And he said unto them the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto them, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. We don't have time to stay in guilt and shame. We don't have time to stay in that, that, that agony of, I messed up. Because God is saying, I know my mercy endures forever, second point. And thirdly, I need you. I've got a plan for you. 
It's like Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, you don't have time to stay here, Peter. You don't have time to sit here and wondering what the plan is. I need you to feed my sheep. You got a message to, pe- to preach, Peter. You got keys to the kingdom to give out, Peter. And just like that, after that, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whether thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. He said this to, to um, prophesy what his death would be. He's saying to Peter, you have a whole new life now. Your life is different, and it's going to be a little bit harder. That's why I need you to focus up and follow me. I need you to feed my sheep. I need you because I do love you. First John, um, oh my goodness, I should have written this down. I believe it's chapter 3. Oh, man. Oh, yes, it is 3. 3 and 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. In that moment where, where Jesus was telling, uh, asking Peter, do you love me? Peter snapped and said, you know all things, God. You know that I love you. And that's how we have to be. Even though I mess up, I know I still love God. And God knows that. So when you ask for forgiveness, he's faithful and just because he knows that you want to be forgiven. That's for the power of repentance. Not just him saying, if he just wiped away the clean slate all the time, there'd be no value in that. We could do whatever we want, and there'd be no consequences whatsoever. But there's a value in understanding that I need God's help. He's all-powerful. His mercy endures forever. But I need him more than anything. And he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. When we fall down, he will pick us up. I think it says in Micah, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. Yea, though I fall, I shall arise. Just because we fall down doesn't mean we're going to stay down. Because we're going to get up. We're going to get up. We don't have time to stay in the guilt, even though this world is shaky and rocky, not built on solid ground. The only solid ground is the rock, not Dwayne, but God. Got to get that out of my head. He has that relentless, unstoppable, all-enduring mercy of God, and it steps in for us time and time and time again. I, I really need this encouragement because I make so many mistakes, but God is there to fix all and to pick me up and Sometimes we have to live with a mistake, but we don't have to live with a consequence, right? Sometimes our life, can, maybe it gets a little changed, but God's there for you anyways. He's helping you through the recovery process too. Even though we make our greatest mistakes, even when we make our greatest mistakes, God still has us in that plan. So can we just give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endureth forever? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Oh, you're great, Lord. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. Your mercy endures forever. So let's go to war with that when we have to go out tomorrow and face the day that even though our life may not look good all the time, he is good, and he's good because his mercy endures forever. It never gets tired. It never runs out of juice. It's like Danica on the soccer field. Four lungs, right? That's right. She's making all the goals, every single goal. It's like the mercy of God. It's like Danica, but a little better. Danica's good, but the mercy of God is a lot better. It never runs out, it never gets tired, and it endures forever. We're out a little early. Let's have we stand. Give thanks unto the Lord. If I could testify real quick, if you could pray. I started a Bible study on my college campus. It's a big, big step because I don't like putting myself out there, you know, and who does though, right? Especially in the current climate where, you know, if you have a Bible, people could just come after you. But I just, I know I've needed to do it for a while, but I started and started with one, man, uh, one 
guy named Juan. Juan, he came last week, and we just talked about the Bible. That's all you need to do. I heard that the only way, the best way to start a Bible study is, you know, one scripture. That's all you need, one requirement. Might not be a great Bible study, but they'll know that one scripture. But we talked, Juan and I talked, and he said, uh, I, I wanted to come, by. my friend wanted to come too. She just didn't make it today. It's like, oh, it's okay. So now two people know about the Bible study. But then yesterday, or yeah, yesterday, uh, Juan couldn't make it. But I showed up anyways, because you never know what's going to happen. And then two more people came to the Bible study. So just shine a light somewhere this week, next week, all the time, wherever you are. You never know who's going to show up. You just got to show up, right? Because God's always, always going to show up. So let's pray. Is that, is that all right if I pray? All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, we give thanks to you, Lord, for you are good, for your mercy endures forever. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace and your kindness and your love. We ask that you bless us with that. Remind us of that constantly. Let us, uh, let us just you know, shine a light tomorrow and all the rest of our days. And Lord willing, let us be back here on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah.